You guys know I'm always talking about tracking my money. You can't manage what you don't measure. And I use a paid app to do that because I'm kind of crazy. But when I talk to you guys, my readers and my listeners, you want a free solution. You want something that links to your personal accounts and tracks your net worth. You want something that has analysis tools and a personalized plan for you. And you want real wealth management advice. The free answer is personal capital. Personal capital is an awesome tool, and it is hard to believe that it's free. And the world agrees. Year after year, personal capital is recognized as a best-in-class budgeting and tracking tool. And that's why I feel good about being affiliated with them. So if you want to start getting your finances in order, and you want to do it for free, start with personal capital. Here's how. Go to the show notes, click on that link, and let them know that the best interest sent you, and start your free account today. That's personal capital, your all-in-one free personal finance tool. Welcome to the Best Interest Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer, where we discuss today's best ideas in personal finance and investing. The Best Interest is a personal podcast meant for entertainment purposes only. It should not be taken as financial advice and is not prescriptive of your financial situation. Here's your host, Jesse Kramer. Hey guys, Jesse Kramer here. Welcome to episode 22 of the Best Interest Podcast. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's an interview, like some interviews I've had on here before, and I will introduce my guest in a minute. But in this episode, we don't focus too much on financial tips. Instead, we talk about the mindset and the story and the influences that can take someone from quote-unquote wandering through life making $35,000 a year to starting a business, starting a family, and investing their way to a half-million-dollar portfolio by age 30. Understanding this story and, and finding parallels in this story to your own life, that's your mission as you listen through this episode. So I hope you enjoy. My guest today is Sean Cranston, a.k.a. The Wealth Dad. Sean, as you might tell, is a father of two young children. He's an author, and he's a personal finance expert, especially when it comes to simple, effective investing topics that you can implement in your own life. His first book, Index Fund Investing 101, was released in 2020, and his second book, Investing for Your Children 101 is set for release in a couple weeks here in mid-July. Sean, thank you for coming on to the Best Interest Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate you or letting me come on. Absolutely, absolutely. I was hoping, Sean, you know, some of our listeners are going to know about you, but for those who don't, can you give us a little bit of your, of your elevator story, especially how you got involved in personal finance and investing education? Sure. You mind if I take a take a little bit of time to explain this one? Would love it. My, Would love it. My, yeah, okay. So this kind of has to start um, when I went to college. Uh, so I come from a family. I've got three older sisters, all of whom were ten times more book smart than I was. Like it, it wasn't even close. So the all my sisters were 4.0 students in high school, and they all had a really good general idea of who they wanted to become after high school. Um, so I've got two. I had a teacher or my first oldest sister worked in finance first and then actually went back to get her master's to become a teacher. My middle sister uh, works in 
uh, with child cancer patients. So she became a nurse. And then my youngest sister became a teacher. Um, me, on the other hand, uh, I was kind of the mistake child of the family. I'm, I've got a nine-year difference between my youngest, uh, oldest sister. They're all two years apart, but I'm kind of the straggler behind them. Um, but, but what they gave me at least was a good, I guess, compass, as you'd say, to, you know, they went to college, they did well for themselves, they got in careers, they were able to support themselves. So me coming behind them, although I wasn't as kind of motivated in the classroom uh, as they were, uh, I knew college was pretty much the route I was going to go to. That's just kind of what my family was doing. Um, so I knew that was going to be eventually my path. So I got to college, had no idea what I wanted to study. I was just kind of happy to be there. That was just the next step in my life. Um, so I ended up studying criminal justice. Um, I think I had a fascination with kind of FBI shows at that time. So that was just kind of an appeal for me and no nothing else really stood out. Like I said, I would, I would, you would almost categorize me as like the kind of classic like wanderer or college wanderer per se. They're just there, but they don't really have a plan of execution as to, you know, what the plan is over the next four years. Sure. Um, and, and strangely enough, I, by the time I graduated, I actually had the exact same GPA, like to the hundredth decimal that I did in high school. I think I had like a 3.16 in both high school and college. I did just enough to get me by the ones I'd never strived for anything greater than that. Cause I had nothing, I didn't really have anything to push me towards. Um, and then my first job out of college was I was making, I think I got a job about three months after graduating. So I was actually pretty fortunate in that sense, but I was making very small money compared to where I lived at the time. So I'm, I'm from the Northern Virginia area. And if you're from this area, it's called like the DMV, um, DC, Maryland, Virginia, mm -hmm. but it's a pretty high paying area, high cost of living area. You're right next to DC federal government. Uh, and the job that I got was in the city, but I was making pennies compared to what everyone else is making, especially uh, my colleagues and friends that are around my age. So I started making $35,000 a year, uh, working full-time going into the city every year where my, uh, my friends kind of in the same class as me who studied like business or IT were starting around 50, 60, $70,000. So wasn't making the most money, but I at least had a job and I was making money. Yeah. Well, that, um, that was like 20, 2010 or so right around then, or a little no, earlier. I, I graduated in 2014, 2014. So okay. Seven, seven years ago. Gotcha. Um, and the job wasn't, it was about as mundane as you could get. It was literally like an Excel data entry job that that's pretty much all it was. No, no real tough skills. I was in criminal or the criminal justice field, I guess I could say. Um, uh, but I had no direction once again, I was just kind of floating there again. Um, and then for whatever reason, just I can't pinpoint why it happened, but my light bulb just like clicked. Like, okay, let's let's start focusing here. Um, and then like right when I noticed my internal light bulb like kind of shining and then like me trying to get myself together, my boss at the time actually brought me into his room and he said one of the, and I have this in my introduction uh, to my Index Fund Investing 101 book, but he sat me down and he said, above all else, um, focus on your retirement first. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. A um, little bit of backstory. My first job was at the Navy Yard. So I'm surrounded by a bunch of former officer, military officers, um, civil service members. Um, so a lot of them are, a lot of the people I worked with were retired, mm -hmm. uh, enlisted people, officers, um, had their pensions, um, 
And he obviously understood the importance of a kind of a pension retirement plan and wanted to push that onto me. I'm not sure if he just saw me just kind of floating around and thought it was a good idea to, to push me in that direction, but that was a seed that kind of got planted in my head. The only financial knowledge or personal finance knowledge I had up until that point was advice I got from my sister who told me she kept $2,000 in her checking account and never spent below that. So when she got new money, she would essentially spend that down to 2000 and then that was like her $0 marker. She wouldn't go beneath that. That was my budgeting essentially for the first year of my life. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so I'm not kidding. I, don't, I did not come from a personal finance background per se. Um, and then, so I took, took my boss's advice. Uh, I went to my kind of HR department, signed up for the 401k, had no idea what it was, just signed up for it, put like three or 4% in there. And then after a couple months, I think I had a couple hundred dollars in there. And then one day I just logged in and I saw like a big green arrow that was pointing up. And then it said like four or $5. So nothing groundbreaking, but I saw like the account has increased a couple dollars. And then I was very cognizant of the money I was putting away in my savings account at the time. Um, although I wasn't good at money, I was still using that basic budgeting kind of $2,000 checking in my head and everything that kind of went, when I would get paid, I would give myself $500 for every two weeks and everything would go into savings. Um, so I checked my savings account and I knew that I had a lot more money in my savings account than I did in my 401k. Um, but my savings account was only growing like a couple of pennies every month. So it was weird to see an amount so much smaller in my 401k, hundreds compared to thousands in my uh, savings account, but that was growing by a couple dollars. So at the time, and I'd still say I'm not a mathematician, but I was smart enough to put two and two together. It's like, wait a minute, there's a smaller amount of money, a couple hundred dollars making a couple dollars compared to my savings account, which has up, I think it was close to like $10,000 when this was clicking, um, but it was earning like five cents a month. Mm -hmm. So I was smart enough to be like, okay, th there's something going on here um, that I'm not understanding or seeing. So I then went home to my, at some point around this time, this is my girlfriend at the time, she's my wife now. We moved into an apartment together um, and I said, hey, I want to, I'm not a book reader. So this caught her by surprise. I was like, I want to go on Amazon. I want to buy a book on investing. She was like, all right, whatever. Um, she's not a money person either. So I bought, uh, what was it? Investing for dummies. This okay. is probably the first book I legit like have read on my own as in like going to seek it myself in my entire life. I'm not kidding. Um, and I read it and I pretty much gave you everything that a basic personal finance person would know. So your IRAs, Roth IRAs, index funds, ETFs, stocks, bonds, every basics of it. And it just kind of got addicting in a way. Um, it was starting to make sense after I read it, why my much smaller 401k was increasing by a couple dollars as opposed to where my savings account was only increasing by a couple pennies. So I was able to connect these dots. And then it, it was almost like the light bulb kept getting brighter in my head. I was like, wait a minute, I can actually, I can do something here. I'm not making the most money, um, but I know how to grow this money now. Uh, so my next job in my head now was, okay, I have to increase my income. Um, this is my next step. I'm only making $35,000 a year. My friends are making double. My wife's not making that much money um, either. So naturally, this is if I want to grow this money, I've got to increase my income. Uh, 
back to where I was working, I'm around a bunch of former naval officers. Um, my actually, one of my bosses at the time too was a former Navy SEAL. And a lot of them got in my ear suggesting that trying to apply for the Naval Officer Candidate School would be a good route. Um, they thought it'd be a good kind of direction path for me. They saw like how kind of dedicated I was getting after, you know, first six months on the job. And then through reading the book, I understood the potential retirement benefits that came potentially as an, uh, as a military officer, you had the pension, you had the thrift savings plan. And I saw it as a great way to kind of, you know, launch a career for myself, take care of my girlfriend who I was going to get engaged to soon and then build a great retirement plan for me. I, I loved the idea of a pension um, 20 years in. I was naive at the time thinking like, you know, it'd be an easy 20 years. Um, so I started on the path then of applying for uh, the Naval Officer Candidate School. And it took about a year, the entire process of applying and kind of, you know, getting all my stuff together. But in that year, I was reading voraciously, essentially every book on Amazon you could on personal finance. Y you name any money or finance investing book. And I read it in that year, that bulb, like I said, that light bulb was just getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And all the dots just kept connecting more. So by the time the decision came, I got the call from my recruiter saying that I was accepted, um, fortunately. So I was, obviously I was excited, mm -hmm. but it came, it was like an infliction point in my life. I was about 25 now, a couple of years, or I was 24, 25, a couple of years, uh, you know, out of college into my job. And then I started thinking, I was like, okay, this is before I'm I even told my wife I was accepted. I'm kind of talking to myself now. I was like, you know, do I take this plunge now? Do I essentially sign my, I don't want to say sign my life away, but, you know, I'm giving up a lot of my time and, you know, I don't want to say right, but I'm giving my time to the military for four years where I, I'm not going to be able to dictate a lot. Or do I follow this kind of new passion that's developing in me, the personal finance, and building something out of it. I didn't know at the time what that would be. Um, I was, I just knew I had a passion to kind of help people like me who had no idea about money. Um, so I made the decision. I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to go to the officer candidate school. I'm going to stick with this uh, money thing. So I told my wife, uh, or she was fiance at the time and she started crying like immediately in the, uh, in our apartment and not because like she was happy that I said, we're not, we're not doing the Navy. Uh -huh. um, but she was crying because I told her a couple other things too. So once again, I mentioned, I'm not making the most money. Um, we're not making the most money I had. I was fortunate to graduate college without any student loan debts. I went to a local uh, state school and I only lived there for one year in the last three years I lived at home. Um, but I did sign up for, I walked out of college without debt then immediately signed up for like a $25,000 car loan. So I wasn't making a lot of money. We weren't making a lot of money. We had the car loan. Um, we rented a two bedroom apartment. That was about $1,800 a month. Once again, pretty high cost of living area around here. So we're kind of, we're doing okay, but it wasn't, you know, we weren't making any steady progress, I'd say, or the progress that I'd want to see. So this goes into the, the next part is why she's crying. I told her, I said, Amber, um, I'm not doing the Navy. I want to chase this personal finance fire I've got because this is where my passion is. And also we're not going to renew the lease on the apartment. I want us to move back in with my parents. 
And this, that's what signaled the cry. She was like, <laughs> what, what are you talking about? We've been, we've been living on our own for two, like two and a half years in this apartment. Life was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I explained to her, I said, if you know, you're okay with me going down, like us going down this new path, um, I don't want to waste any more money renting while I'm kind of building a career that's bringing more income. And I want to save up for a 20% down payment on a home here. Uh, I want to start building some equity and real estate. This one of the books I read at the time was Dave Ramsey. So I had the 20% down payment in my head. Yep. Uh, I never really ran numbers. I just knew that was the number I was looking at. So we got to, uh, what are we, what am I 25 now? And we moved into my parents. We were there for about two years and I changed jobs, but I was still working in criminal justice. But the company I was working for was kind of a business IT company. And this is kind of where I got my first big jump in income. Um, I knew I didn't really want to do criminal justice anymore. I, I, my soul, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to increase my income. Um, and there was a, my company or my former company that I was working for at the time, they had their own essentially accounting product that they sold to federal government agencies. And they had a massive new contract that came available. So I actually was fortunate enough to switch to that contract and kind of enter the, I was a business analyst. So I guess I was in like the business world now. And it came with a nice increase. And then when I was in there, I saw my next big jump was in, there was a business intelligence. um, If people don't know what this is, it's essentially uh, companies use data to make um, business driven decisions. So you're working in data and I was able to learn these skills on my own and wiggle my way into the BI team and got an interview with them and was able to, um, fortunately get with them and then another big pay raise. Uh, so now we're, you know, we're doing well, uh, we're, we're getting close to the down payment money. I think we're at the two year mark in our, um, kind of our saving plan for the house. And then during this time, I also did a blog way before I ever did the wealth dad. Um, it was called Frugal Money Man. Um, th- nice. This was my fir- first attempt at trying to, you know, do my personal finance wizardry on the world and help everyone out. Sure, been there. So, <laughs> yep. So, so I did that for about a year, and it, it was honestly, looking back on it, I enjoyed it. Um, it was fun. It was the first time connecting with the personal finance online community. Um, so I was writing like a blog post a week, uh, wasn't, there wasn't getting that much, many like viewers, but I created like an Instagram account at Twitter. I think the largest followers I ever got for that one was like a thousand followers on Twitter, nothing crazy on Instagram. But after about a year, I was just burned out. I wasn't making any money. Um, I enjoyed, you know, helping people. I like doing the DMS, but it was just becoming exhausting with my job and then trying to write these blog posts. So I eventually just burned out and I was like, you know what, uh, this isn't, this isn't working as to what I wanted, like I had envisioned in my head. So I canceled it about Christmas and I said, you know, I'm just going to take a, take a year and, you know, think about, you know, if I still want to do this personal finance thing, um, I want to give it up or just kind of let myself, you know, mellow out and see how it failed. So I focused on my job a lot. After that, I got into BI. I was making good money. I think I was able to finally increase my income from like thirty-five thousand to like seventy-five thousand. Um, still not the biggest money for the area I live in, but it was big enough for me. Um, that that was able. I was now able to max out my Roth IRA. I was maxing out my four hundred one k at the time. 
um, I was, we were making really good progress together. And then we finally, we're, my wife was searching Zillow like crazy because she was getting cabin fever in my parents' house. Obviously it's not even her parents. Understandable. Yep. 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 (laughs) And my, we, I lived, my parents lived in a townhouse, so it's not the biggest house anyways. Um, and we had our kid, we had our son, uh, I always mention him on social media, the wealth son. Sure. <laughs> um, we had him at kind of the two year mark there and he, we've raised his first like four months. We raised him in my parents' house, but it was obviously, it was the time we we're like, all right, this, there's not space now. We, we definitely need our own space. And we had I think we had about sixty to seventy thousand dollars saved, so we had a twenty percent down payment for like a three hundred, three hundred and forty thousand dollar house. And this was now, where are we at? We're we're twenty, kind of twenty twenty now. Um, but this was the time where I was like, hey, she was she was excited about you know looking for houses on Zillow, but I was like, Am, I want to give one more shot to this this finance thing. I think I've got a I've got a strategy this time that'll work better. So literally on like January 1st, 2020, I created Instagram account, the wealth dad. I wasn't on Twitter yet. Um, I may have created an account, but I wasn't active on it for the first month. And all I was doing really was posting like finance quotes from like books I was reading. It wasn't anything like groundbreaking, but I was just kind of quoting stuff, throwing it out there every day, getting like two likes, three likes. And it was from like friends or like family. So sure. <laughs> no, no, no one really knows who the hell I am. Um, and then I decided one day, I think I found Chris Johnson on Instagram in my first month. Um, if anybody don't know who this is listening to it, he's one of the big uh, personal f- or just money guys on social media. And he was posting really great content. And, and I noticed it was just like his tweets. He was just repurposing his tweets on mm-hmm. Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, that, that's actually a really good idea. You're not, because what I, what I was doing was I was essentially giving other people's words via their quotes. But what he was doing was he's taking his own words, his, his own content per se from Twitter and putting it on Instagram. And it was great. And I was like, that, that's fantastic. Cause I've got a lot more, you know, that I want to say, um, but I just didn't know how to exactly say it. So then I focused on Twitter in that kind of next month. And literally my strategy was just post like three to five times a day, every day, uh, comment on all the big accounts. Uh, Chris Johnson was one of them. Um, can't think of the others at the time, but any account that had like thousands of followers, tens of thousands of followers, I was commenting, retweet commenting just to see if they would notice me um, or anyone would notice me, not even them, just, try to get followers. And then at about March, it started to pick up a little bit. Um, I was putting out some pretty good content. I got, I think that's when I had about a thousand or 2000 followers on Twitter and I got about a thousand followers on Instagram. So if I compared that back to frugal money, man, my blog, I already blew that essentially the follower count out of the water. Um, yeah. Yeah. In a three month span. Um, using the wealth dad content than I did, you know, doing the blog kind of route. And essentially it's just been in terms of the wealth dad, that's just what I've been doing every day up until this day. So a year and a half, just, you know, tweeting every day, um, repurposing my uh, tweets to Instagram, doing a couple of personal like money updates. I'll do my net worth updates on Instagram. I'll do like my kids accounts and I'll do a couple other um, things, but 
let's go back to now March when the when my account started blowing up a little bit. That's when I started thinking to myself, I was like, okay, this is the time now to monetize. I'm seeing Chris Johnson make money from courses. I'm seeing people launch eBooks. And I got finally got the idea in my head. I said, the one thing that frustrated me a lot about the blog was I would write, you know, what I thought were great posts. And I think I thought they were great posts, but I had a couple of readers reach out to me and they were like, you know, I, I like your content. I just hate reading a lot of, you know, paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. And I was like, you know, that, that's understandable. If you don't like personal finance, um, I think you even kind of get that maybe sometimes too. You write all this stuff and you know, it's going to be, it's great, but you know, it just doesn't click with people. They don't want to read right. a lot of that. Sure. So I was like, okay, I know I've got, what I've done personally is I've grown a fairly large portfolio for myself and wife relative to my age at that point. I think we had like a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in the stock market. And it was all in index funds. It's what I understood. Um, so I knew where we were compared to our age financially, people would benefit from that knowledge. Um, and I also coming from a non-finance background and learning it myself over the years. I knew what the pain points were for people who had no idea about this. And I knew what kind of content that beginners and novices digested. Um, and it really benefited me when I made the book. So when I made this book in March, um, I filled it with essentially tons of visual. I made it as pretty as possible. Um, I was noticing a lot of eBooks were kind of like Google Docs. Um, nothing wrong with that. But once again, I knew I wanted my book to stand out. So I made it colorful, I had charts, I had visuals, I had scenarios, I had examples. And my book was probably about 60, 40 written word to visuals. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally released it, the content, the feedback that I got from it from people was amazing. The one thing that automatically came out is they loved the visuals. They loved how they were able to relate to it as opposed to the written content. And I think I sold about a thousand bucks in my first month and that, that blew my expectations out of the water. Um, this is around April timeframe. I didn't, I honestly didn't think I would sell more than like 20 copies of this book. Um, but people kept soaking up and they loved it and they were sharing it with their friends, their family. I was getting, getting messages. They were like, can you convert this to Spanish? Um, <laughs> our family would, this, this is like groundbreaking for us, how you written it and how you designed it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really something. Um, and I kept editing and I kept updating the book for people. And then, it just really, it grew from there. Um, it was fortunate to lead into my second book because it, all the questions I got from people, they were like, well, you know, we have kids. How do I invest for my kids? And then my brain naturally clicked again. I said, okay, well, just like where in the past, I, me and my wife were, you could say ahead of people financially in terms of our portfolio. We also had kids who had thousands of dollars in the stock market. So I knew I had knowledge once again, that I could sell to to people who needed that for that. So that's naturally what led to, uh, to book number two. Um, so that's just, that, that's kind of my long winded story on where, where I got to today. It, I, I don't think I have a very traditional background per se from a lot of these finance people online. Um, many kind of come from a business background or finance background, or they had a high paying job at a college. Um, I had a very checkered kind of route to get here. My, my life changed almost like every year, year and a half in terms of what I wanted to do, who I was, um, my goals at the time. And, and I think you kind of see on social media, my mind still changes um, to this day with the recent kind of mortgage versus investing. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, the, 
the quote unquote wealth that I am today is much different than the one that started on January, even 2020, um, by, by a long shot. So I'm definitely, definitely blessed to be kind of where we're at now. Um, this definitely, if you would, if, if I would have went back in time to essentially January of 2020 and told myself, this is what it would have become. I would have been like, you're out of your effing mind. Um, (laughs) there's no way it would have been able to grow to where it did. Um, so I'm definitely blessed that it was able to to get to this point. First off, congratulations on all the success, right? That's amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, I've got like 20 different questions I want to ask you, Sean. Now, Sure. I, I knew I, I was going to, I was going to take a bunch of time with that. I just didn't know how to, I, I couldn't give you one part of like my past seven years and it would make sense to anybody. So I had to kind of lay it, lay it all out. No, I, I understand. I understand. Um, let me see. I'm going to work through a couple of these. I'm not going to get yeah. to all 20. I, I get it. Well, first <laughs> off, the one thing you just said was how even your, your mindsets and your opinions about investing have changed even in the last 18 months since mm-hmm. you started the Wealth Dad account, since you released Index Fund Investing 101. I think that's a good thing. Right? I think that's a good thing that you learn something new or someone shows you some math that you didn't understand before or that you weren't aware of before. And mm-hmm. you say, oh, actually doing it this way makes a little more sense than what I first assumed, right? That's, that's, that's the whole point of what we're doing out here. Yeah. Especially when it comes to, you know, the fact that a lot of us on say Twitter, for example, we're all, we're all fighting the same fight. We have the same missions in mind to help people. And we should be comparing ideas and trying to figure out what's best before we then turn around to our respective audiences and say, this is the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I hope everybody listening thinks that's awesome. I want to go back. I want to go back real early to something you said and, and just pull on this thread and and maybe I'm going to pull on the thread and it's just going to pop right out and there's nothing there. But you had mentioned that you were a wanderer, right? You kind of wandered through college and early career, you were wandering. And then one day, for whatever reason, a light bulb kind of turned on and that light bulb's just been getting brighter and brighter and brighter since. Yeah. And so thinking back to then, I mean, there really wasn't some sort of turning point seminal moment that flipped that light bulb switch. It just kind of started glowing on its own. No. Uh, well, hmm. let me work backwards again. Um, so I will categorize myself even in high school uh, high school and college as like a wanderer. Like I said, I, I showed up and did enough to get me to the next level. Um, but one thing that always benefited me, I told you my GPA was pretty much the exact same. Um, one thing that really benefited me, at least in school, and it has benefited me now a lot in the working world and my business and uh, partnering with other people like Chris with Wealth Squad, um, is I've always had kind of a innate fear of losing or failing in me. Um, I've got a sports background, uh, played sports all throughout um, childhood, high school, uh, still like to this day. And for what I, I just hate the fact, I hate the idea of losing or failing when I know I could have done something to change that outcome. Um, so there was a lot of instances kind of in high school or college where there was moments that I was potentially going to fail. I didn't think that I was going to get to the next level, but then I would just tell myself, I would be like, well, what's the, the other option is failing. And that that's not acceptable. Um, you're not going to fail because that, that's not an option for you. So I was fortunate to, that although I was a wanderer, 
I always forced myself not to fail. Um, so that pushed me, you know, if I was struggling in a class, I was like, all right, get, get your ass to class and let's get an A on the final. Or if there's a group project that's struggling, there was one time in college, I just told everybody, I said, all right, you guys just stop. Let me write this whole project. I'm going to do it myself. Um, just weird little out of character things. But I would do, like I said, I would do enough to get me go um, to the next level. But once again, I wouldn't let myself fail kind of in the big um, moments. So the light bulb, if I have to think, how I associate that mentality and when it clicked in real life. I think it was when I started thinking that I was potentially going to marry my wife. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that I probably just, I didn't think of it like in the moment, but I think it's that subconscious mentality in the back of my head. Like you can't fail. You can't lose I'm saying like, Hey, if you're going to go down this route, you can't wander. You, you, you have to pick a lane now. Um, you can't just, you know, start a family and just, you know, um, just randomly go about life every year, just changing it all the time. You've got to pick a direction. So I think that kind of just mentality compass pushed me um, in a direction. And then it just kind of coincided with the finance thing. All of that happened, you know, when I was applying for the Navy, I was reading all these books. I knew I was probably going to marry or get engaged to my wife. And that just focused it all at one time. And I said, all right, I'm going to put everything together. I'm going to put all my dumb, dumb uh, I'm not going to drink as much. Um, I'm going to focus more. I'm not going to let these distractions do it anymore. And I just focused every day on just being focused in the moment, kind of like what I do with the wealth dad. Um, I was joking with a friend the other day. She messaged me about a con or one of my posts and congratulated me on the success. And I told her, I said, honestly, there's nothing if you ask me, there's nothing special about the wealth dad compared to any other personal finance account. I probably say the exact same information on a daily basis that almost everyone else says on personal finance. The only difference in my account and the average Joe personal finance account is I've been doing it every single day for a year and a half. I haven't given a day up. Um, and that was, once again, in the back of my mind, I can't I'm not, I can't allow myself to fail. That's the only thing I've been doing that's been helping me out so much is I've been showing up every single day. Uh, so just, I think just kind of that, you know, the fear, the fear of failure in the back of my mind, I know I can't fail my family. Um, and that, that's honestly what pushes me the most now. I'm fortunate now that our income is a, a lot crazier than it was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And it makes everything a lot easier now. Um, but I still had that same mentality, you know, we're making over 200 grand this year with all of our combined incomes, but I still have the exact same kind of fear of failure mentality as when I was making 35,000, I still spend my money on the same stuff. Um, still do the same things. I, I don't, you know, I didn't buy the Tesla immediately when I got my <laughs> first, you know, gum road paycheck from my job or from my, uh, from my books. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm literally the same guy I've always been since high school. Um, and I, I, you know, just, just no wife, longer wandering is all. Yeah. Just no I'm not wandering. wandering. <laughs> or, you know, I would say I'm focused wandering now. I'm still, you know, my wife would tell you, I, my mind changes all the time and I'm doing stuff, but I at least do what I need to do on a daily basis to keep me going in the direction that is going to provide for my family and not let me fail them. Yeah. That makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. And from the outside looking in, it certainly doesn't look like you're failing, man. So congratulations. It looks like you're succeeding and uh, 
even if you are wandering a little bit, like you said, it's focused wandering, like your path seems yeah. really well defined and you're allowed to take a step off the trail every now and then, but the trail is yeah. still there. Yeah. Um, okay, Sean. So let me now, let's put some of these ideas into practice. Imagine I'm listening to the podcast. I'm 25, I'm 28, I'm 30 years old. I want to get into investing and I like the wealth dad. So I'm going to try out index funds. Build me an index fund portfolio. What what would you tell me to invest in? So I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, before you get for the portfolio, as a 26-year-old who's starting for the first time, I know you're not going to have pretty much any idea on the funds that I tell you to invest in anyways. You, you don't have the knowledge yet. But what I'm going to tell you to do is at least invest in either a S&P 500 or total stock market index fund. Um, why I say that is because the S&P 500 has an extremely long, uh, long-term track record dating back to 1926 of averaging just under 9% in real returns when you consider uh, dividends reinvested and you account for inflation. So what this is going to do when you invest in an S&P 500 index fund or total stock market index fund is it's going to put your money across the essentially all the largest companies in the United States. Um, this is your Home Depots, uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, all the companies that you see on a daily basis. You're now going to shift from being just a consumer in the economy to now you're going to be an owner in the economy by owning a piece of each of these companies through uh, a basic S&P 500 or total stock market index fund. But then I'm also going to encourage you, once you get comfortable with that, to adding just a simple total international stock market index fund port, uh, index fund. So you can, uh, my recommendation would be doing a 70-30 split between U.S. to international. Um, you can even maybe do 80-20 uh, U.S. to international, depending on how much more you believe in the U.S. to, to international stocks. Uh, but I do believe it is good to own a globally diver diversified portfolio that's not just focused on the United States, because anything could happen um, in the U.S. economy. It, it might not always be as great as it is. There could, there could be decades where our economy is in a slump, and you want to be diversified um, to the rest of the world as well. So do a simple 70-30 or 80-20 split between a S&P 500 index fund, total stock market index fund, and a uh, total international stock market index fund. Gotcha. So a couple follow-up questions then. So let's mm -hmm. say I do, let's say I do the 70-30. Let's say I'm 70% in a total US fund. So I own not only the big US companies, but the small ones too, 70% of my portfolio. Mm -hmm. And the other 30, I go international. Let's say in the next year, uh, international stocks happen to outperform. And just by the basis of the way the market performs, my portfolio now is actually more like 60-40. Because let's say the U.S. market does poorly while the international mm -hmm. market does well. Do you recommend that people, should I bring that back into balance or, or rebalance, as people say, back to 70-30? And, and if so, how often should I do that? Yes, I would, but I would not sell. Um, I'm a fan of letting your winners run. And what that means is as your investments are growing, I'm not a fan of then selling them as they're on uh, an upward trend. So what I would do, and you can either do this on a uh, twice a year or just once a year on an annual basis. But what I would do to get your portfolio back from that 60-40 to 70-30 is what I call buying more of your losers. Um, so you're losing essentially your portfolio that's getting uh, outperformed by your other one who's not doing as well. You're going to put all of your new contributed money 
to that fund. And you're going to build back your asset allocation that way by buying more of the losers while still allowing um, that one fund that's performing a lot better to continue to run. Because um, I'm a, definitely a big fan of letting the winners run and not stopping the steam early, per se. Gotcha. So I'm sitting at 60-40, U.S. 60, international 40. And what you're saying is for the next few months, I'm just going to buy U.S. Correct. I'm just going to buy the U.S. and it's slowly going to be 61-39, 62-38, and slowly creep back up to that 70-30 target. I like Correct. it. I like it. Excellent. So 70% or 80% U.S. funds, 20 or 30% international funds. Sounds like a great place to start to me. And then from there, it's time to start learning. And, and as you learn more as an investor, you might decide to change your own portfolio. But the idea of just starting and starting with that portfolio balance, that allocation, I, I like it. I like it, Sean. Thanks for that advice. Yeah, simple and to the point. Cool. Well, Sean, let's transition then. We're at right about the 45-minute point. Let's go to the rapid-fire questions. The first Sounds one. Sounds good. What is the last material object or personal luxury that you spent $100 or more on? And it can be for the kids or it can be for you and your wife. Because I understand there's a lot of costs with, with having little babies. <laughs> Material-wise, it's probably something for the kids, to be honest. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not kidding when I say I'm the same person I've been since I was in high school. I go to the gym every day. I pretty much wear the same uh, running shorts. So I can't think of something like I've spent $100 on myself. Uh, actually, no, you know, I got a $200 Amazon gift card from my work the other day and I gave it entirely to my wife and she spent it on new clothes for herself. That was our, that was our, I think the, the last thing that comes to mind in terms of just kind of like shopping. Um, neither of us are big kind of money spenders, but that, that would probably be it. So this, this isn't a trick <laughs> question, Sean, but would you say that your frugality or your, you know, kind of your disinterest sometimes in material goods is correlated to the fact that your investment accounts have grown so much. Does that make sense? So are you saying like, because, <laughs> because you don't spend a lot of money. Yeah. Because you don't spend a lot of money on stuff, you use that money to invest. I mean, mathematically. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. You put, if the, if the, if the numbers aren't going to expenses, they're, they're going to my investment account. Um, obvious. No right. doubt about that. Right. Um, but not this, a, not yeah. a trick question. I, I didn't mean it as a trick question. It's just, it's just yeah. trying to, you know, exemplify to the audience. Sometimes they, I get readers or I'll see people on social media say, yeah, well, no one has a thousand dollars a month to invest. And in mm -hmm. some cases that's absolutely true. And, and I yeah. totally get it. I'm there with you. But in other cases, those thousand dollars a month are going towards the nicest items that money can buy instead of yep. going into an investment account. It's all about choices. Everybody makes yep. their own choices. And, and if you don't choose to spend on material goods, you'll have more money to, to do other stuff with, like invest. And you know, one thing I'll add to that too, and this is where, once again, I've been, I'm, the, I'm a completely different person than I was when I first started this account, or even when I first started reading about money. Back in the day, I would more kind of agree with just your basic statement. If you're not spending as much, you're going to have more uh, means to be able to invest. And I was always of the sense, you know, cutting expenses is the most important thing to do for people. And it is definitely important. You know, you don't need to be spending you know, whatever, 300, 400 bucks at the club every month. Um, but in my journey, uh, 
what's helped me the most, because I was a person who wasn't able to invest a thousand dollars a month. Um, mm-hmm. I was only able to do that up in like recently in the past couple of years. Um, I was, I was definitely not doing this my first couple of years of investing. I was doing maybe a couple hundred bucks. Um, what changed my life is I just focused on increasing my income. Um, that I always knew that was my, was going to elevate myself the most. Um, I wasn't, I knew I wasn't going to be spending as much, but that's going to be helping people who are more natural kind of spendy people yeah. who have those car desires, who have what it go, going out, um, cutting expenses will help them. Yeah. But a lot of times in their case, increasing income is going to be a lot easier for them and it's going to provide them a much better quality of life because they're going to hate reducing their expenses in those areas. Excellent point. Excellent point. You got to think about what makes you happy as well as yeah. kind of what, what the long-term goals are. Yeah. Um, let's go to the next question, Sean. What's your favorite financial tool or app or service and why do you like it? I like personal capital. Um, so this is a basic it tracks all your finances. So all your investment accounts, your bank accounts, uh, all of your uh, liabilities. So like your mortgages, your student loans, your credit cards. And what it does is it gives you a nice dashboard. It provides you your net worth. If people don't, uh, if your listeners don't know what this is, essentially just like your financial value, um, how much you're worth financially. And it lists out every account and it shows you your progress, um, how you've been doing, where you've been spending. Uh, it's just a really nice kind of tool that puts every, all of your money into one place without you having to log into you know, Bank of America and then your Vanguard account and then your Ally Bank and things like that or your student loans. It's a nice place to be able to just put all of them in one centralized location. Awesome. And full disclosure, there's probably going to be some ad copy at the beginning of this episode about personal capital. And listeners, mm-hmm. that was completely uh, unrelated. I said nothing to Sean before he came up with that. He just likes it on his own. So you know it's good. It's already the only app I use for finance. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, last one, Sean. Imagine you have a billboard and you can share anything you want with the world. What message would you put on that billboard? Hmm. I like this question. I'd say life is not as hard as, as you think. Um, years ago, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have believed that myself. I, I thought life you know, as a wanderer, you know, without direction, I thought life was going to be hard. Um, now that I've, you know, achieved a, a decent level of success uh, financially with the business, uh, I'm able to now look back and see that all this really was, was just me putting in the work every single day. Um, once again, like I told you, well, like I told my friend, all I've been doing differently is putting in the work every single day for a year and a half where most people, even my old self would have quit after six months, a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so although life seems hard, it's really not hard that it's not as hard as you think to get essentially to that next level, to that 1% of people. If you're willing to put the work in every single day for a long period of time. Um, so that, that's what I would tell, you know, readers now, especially young people. It, a lot of people are, a lot of young people are discouraged, you know, with kind of student loans, you know, COVID just hit um, state of what they think the economy is a lot of, a lot of doubt in young people. So I would just want to tell them, you know, it's not as hard as you think, but if you're that, that's saying that you're going to put the work in though. Um, so 
that's hopefully that answers your question a little it bit. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And uh, yeah, in my own life, I can certainly count my blessings and, and pick out the points in life where I've been lucky. And I can also look at points in life where I've said, hard work got me through that and hard work mm-hmm. got me here. And it usually it's a combination of both. And it's, what is it, Thomas Edison, maybe, or one of those guys who pointed out the fact that it's the combination of really hard luck or really hard work, <laughs> really hard yeah. work gets you to the point where all of a sudden you can take advantage of your luck when it comes yeah. along. So it really is yeah. that combo. That's a great yeah. answer, Sean. And yeah. uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the Best Interest Podcast. This was a great conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Um, I've done a couple of podcasts before and they were a lot more, you know, money finance related. And I, and I love talking money, obviously. Uh, my, my name kind of says that. Um, I liked kind of talking a little bit more about, you know, the more about the mentality, uh, around, you know, who I am, what I think has helped to me a lot. Um, so I definitely enjoyed exploring those areas a little bit more, um, than just the money side. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was really, really good story and and fun to learn about you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, man. Great to meet you. Yeah. Appreciate it, Jesse. Big thanks to Sean, the Wealth Dad, for coming on to the podcast today. If you want to connect with Sean, the best places to do that are on Twitter or on Instagram, where his handle is at the Wealth Dad. And if you're interested in pre-purchasing or purchasing his books, he's got links in his profiles on social media to find Index Investing 101 and Investing for Your Children 101. Thank you again, Sean. If you want to reach out to me, my email is jesse at bestinterest.blog, or you can find me on Twitter, where my username is bestinterest underscore JC. And I'm now on Instagram, actually, at the underscore best underscore interest. The best interest with underscores on Instagram. If you find these interviews valuable and you want to give back, there are three very easy options for you. All free. All free for you. Always absolutely free. Option one, subscribe to the Best Interest Podcast from the app you're listening to right now. Option two, leave a rating of the Best Interest Podcast. Option three, leave a review. Tell me what you think. For example, Jay O'Leary wrote in and said, Been a follower of the blog for a while now. I'm looking forward to more color commentary on the post content. Great first few episodes. Cheers, Jesse. Big fan. Jay O'Leary, I'm a big fan of you. Thank you for those kind words. We can continue to invest in one another because, as Ben Franklin said, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Sharing with others, that's investing in their knowledge. So thank you all. Thanks for listening to episode 22 of the Best Interest Podcast.